ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the fourth episode of the Shea Station podcast brought to you by John Boy Media, the newest Mets podcast for their company. You may know me as Jack or Jolly Olive. I'm one of your co-hosts today and sitting with me is living legend, living legend lefty, I should say, three L's there, Jerry Blevins. Jerry, how are you doing today, my man? Um, wonderful. Coming off a Mets win. That's a good sign in this tough stretch. It's feeling good, man. Let's, let's do this. Let's hop right in. Oh, it's so nice. Do you want to chat? I want to chat. I want to chat. All right, let's chat. (laughs) It's just, it's just nice to show up to the office after a win and not a sweep. Even if you lost two or three. Yeah, man. It's nice to just take one. It feels good because you get a you get to take a breath because they've been playing pretty good baseball and have nothing to show for it. Yeah. And so for them to get this win going into LA, like it just feels like, all right, it's possible to win. They're pushing hard. It's nice. We we have a, a positive outlook. Maybe we're, you know, we're a positive podcast. We know that, yeah. Hoping to build that momentum forward. So yeah, it's an exciting day. You know, I thought of it as you go out to a, a restaurant you'd never been there before because we've never we haven't been to San Fran this season. You go out to a restaurant, you get an appetizer. It's kind of un- underwhelming. It's whatever. You get your entree. It's also kind of underwhelming. It's not that good. But then you get the dessert, the third meal. You get that chocolate lava cake, whatever it is for you. Maybe it's the cheesecake. So so good. And you savor it to the last bite, the extra innings of the bite. It's just perfect. Mm, I like that analogy. Pretty. It just came to me. What's that for you? What dessert is the 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 best one? If you if you can have any dessert, what is it? Do you have That's a one? Good question. I, hold on, you're gonna be like, take a guess. You you've shocked me with all these healthy foods. You did throw out chocolate. You did throw out chocolate lava cake, which is pretty cliche and solid. Wow. I mean, no, no. I mean, that's on every menu. Okay. It's it's you know it's not out of the norm. I'm not dissing it. Sure. Um. You look like a like a creme brulee. Are you fancy? No, I'm not a creme brulee guy. <laughs> not not a fan. That's a little too fancy for me. I, I'm Italian at heart. I would go for like a tiramisu. I'm, I'm digging okay. a tiramisu a little bit. Chocolate lava cake. It's a little basic, but it's you know it's been with me since I was a youngin, younger than I am now. I guess. It's. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. What about you? What's if that? That's a good one. I'm. I'm a. I'm like a. Uh, if you're going cake, have you ever had like the gooey butter cake? No. Um, there's a place called City Hall or Mastro's in in Phoenix. Uh, okay. And it's a butter cake, and it's it feels like you're eating a stick of butter in fluffy cake form. Mm-hmm. It is so good. It's like a crumble. You add a little scoop of like vanilla Ooh. ice cream with it. I do like ice cream on top of like a warm cake. I think that's like mm. a beautiful. Color. You know, I'm not a cake guy. Neither am I. Yeah. I'm more of a pie or ice cream or a combination of that. You give me like a good peach cobbler mm. or an apple pie, something along those lines. Um, but I do love some tiramisu, but my go-to is, a, you know, like a New York style cheesecake. I'm into that. Cheesecake's been like my go-to for the past couple of years, for sure. Yeah. Oh, it's, I love it. Those, there's three things. Not Cheesecake Factory, though. That's a different game. Well, that's that's a different level. That's That's not... That's not cheesecake. That's it's not true you know, vintage cheesecake. You know what I mean? That's like uh, what's if I'm I'm trying to to make an analogy here. If I'm going for pizza, yeah, Pizza Hut is good. You know, it's Pizza Hut. It's past Domino's thin crust. It's you know it it is, but it's not pizza. Yeah, it's not. You know what I mean? It's just a different breed. I agree. Anyway, I don't know how we we ended up here, but you know, 
Well, this is this is what happens when you talk to me. I'm a skinny guy, but I love food, so we can we can go down that road. We might have to start a, a culinary podcast. I mean, we did we beefed a little bit about cereal choices on Twitter. I don't know if any of our, our listeners saw that. That's why I thought you were a healthy guy because well, you were like, no oh, special K. You can be a healthy guy, but also still have some delicious cereal. A special K strawberry is excellent. Somebody threw out a grape nuts and then talked about like heating it up, like hot grape nuts. I don't know about all that. That is, I mean, that's a choice. First of all, half of the reason why cereal is so fantastic is because it's instant gratification. Right. You don't want to throw it in the microwave. Like, who? Who are you? No. Where, what? What's happening in this world? We usually don't attack our listeners like that, but I think in that, <laughs> this one. Instance, I mean, if you're gonna heat up some grape nuts versus my, you know, my golden grams, then 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 we're gonna have words. Golden grams are classic. I'll give you that. And like mini wheats, I go back to sometimes for sure. But also mini wheats, classic. So, have you ever so had the good. regular? Like the not frosted mini wheats, but have you ever seen like the? I don't even know what they're called anymore. Are they just wheats? Yeah, it's oh, like, but no. they're like it would come into two giant bricks about like this, and oh. they're just shredded wheat. Like, oh, so you're just eating bread and milk? That's disgusting. Oh, it's just like like street. Oh, it was. Like, I'm not oh. that much health nut. Like a honey bunches of oats. You know, it's got some good stuff. I throw in a little bit of granola. I, it's all a good. I'm for that. Yeah, but. You know, I like that. Some some Honey Nut Cheerios. My wife will mix in some like um, some organic version of Cinnamon Toast Crunch, and it's not bad. Yeah, it's whatever. It's not the real. You thing, just have though. to eat it fast because that gets soggy so quick in milk. Yeah, I'm a big cereal mixer too. <laughs> like Honey Nut Cheerios plus Honey Bunches of Oats, great combo. Don't know if you ever tried it. It's dope. I'm at the at the field. They usually have like the the big containers, the plastic the little containers. dispensers. Yeah, and so I'll be like, oh, like some cocoa puffs with some cinnamon toast crunch like that combination is just pure heaven so pure heaven all right i think <laughs> you're we... ready to talk some baseball <laughs> forgot cereal podcast obviously obviously it's a cereal <laughs> podcast yeah this is uh this is cereal the different version not the not the npr version cereal station yeah. for sure yeah uh so the mets actually did play baseball this past week i don't know if you guys heard uh, i was i watched some of the games i believe jerry did too um, so the Mets, they had a series in San Francisco and, uh, they started out competitive, honestly. I mean, they, they, they were in all of these games and I feel like we've been a broken record with every series that we've covered on this podcast because the Mets have been competitive and then just kind of have been falling short against some of these tougher teams. They started the series on August 16th, uh, game one, they lost seven to five, tough one to swallow for sure. The offense did wake up for this one in a way, if you count five runs as waking up. In terms of the Mets' offense, I definitely count that as waking up. Uh, but it was just in time for the bullpen to finally slow down and falter, which you can't really blame the bullpen because of how good they've been and how good they were after this game. Uh, the Mets chased Gausman after five innings, which I thought was huge. Five innings, three earned runs. That is definitely something you take against Kevin Gausman, considering how good he's been this year. Uh, J.D. Davis went three for four. Jonathan VR went two for four, got another home run. Alonzo snapped the Mets triple skid, which we had talked about last time. I picked Nimmo to snap it. You picked Pilar to snap it. In the end, it was the polar bear. That slide into third was awesome, by the way. That was Yeah, just vintage. like we all, we all predicted the, the Pete Alonzo triple. Speed demon Pete Alonzo. <laughs> Uh, and for me, it was just, it was another Louis Rojas decision that I kind of disagreed with. We can expand on this in a little bit. He used Aaron Loop for one out. He's been doing that a lot this season. We've con we've conserved, uh, or I guess preserved, Aaron Loop's arm very well this season. But I think this was an outing where we needed him for more than just that one out. He went to Trevor May after for the eighth inning. And Trevor May has been solid before this outing. But May uh, let it slip a little bit. Uh, he gave up three runs on two homers and a triple. He was getting batted around pretty badly. 
Uh, the Giants put up three runs on him, and those three runs would actually decide the game. If those three runs don't go up, the Mets win 5-4, to four, uh, but instead they lose 7-5. to five, And it's one of the few times where we can say the bullpen let us down a little bit. But they did pick us up in the following two games for sure. Yeah, so let's go into game two. It was Marcus Stroman versus Logan Webb in a, you know, a game that we really needed Stroman to, to kind of lengthen out. Yeah. The bullpen, like you mentioned, had been so taxed from, from the series past that they, they pitched a big chunk of game one. So in game two, we needed Stroman to step up. And it looked a little shaky because he gave up a single and a home run right off the bat. Yeah. So we were down 2 nothing before he even recorded an out. But he stepped up. He ended up going uh, seven innings through like a hundred plus pitches for the first time or the most pitches he's thrown in four years, which is huge. Yeah, he was like since 2017. An amazing defensive play. He flashed that gold glove. Um, he really stepped up. I mean, it wasn't a perfect outing. He gave up three runs. He gave up the two runs here uh, in the beginning. And then he gave up uh, a leadoff home run in, in the seventh inning when he came back out. Uh, but he really stepped it up. He had nine punches, um, that highlight reel. But on the other side of the ball, Logan Webb looked incredible. He pitched his arguably his best game of the year. Uh, he went into the eighth inning. Had, he looked almost perfect going through it. In the eighth inning, he gave up a little bit of a hiccup. Um, Mets were down 3 nothing, and then Pete Alonzo hits a huge home run in the eighth off of him, sends him uh, kind of packing and, and ends his day. Uh that's what Pete's been doing. He's been hitting huge home runs. Yeah. It gets us within striking distance down three to two. Um, we lose three to two. That was it for us. Uh, we didn't really have a, a rally back at the end. They shut us down, but that was kind of, kind of the story, man. We, we get close enough and then we don't quite make it there. And so the same thing in game in game one happens in game two. And the difference for us in game three was we actually, Came back a little bit, so I'll let you take game three. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, we saw a glimpse of that Giants bullpen dazzling us in game one and game two. Well, they were called to action in game three for sure. Uh, poor, well, I mean, I want to send my condolences to Anthony DiSclefani. Uh, Anthony he made his second start after coming off the IL, but it seemed he got injured, some sort of leg injury when he was going to cover first in the second inning on a ground ball. He gets yanked after getting four outs, and as soon as I saw that, you know, it's this weird conflicting feeling because you never want to wish injury on a player at all. I don't condone that at all. I'm not in reinforcing that behavior. But if you're the Mets, you're thinking, okay, like this is our shot to actually put up a big spot on that scoreboard, capitalize on a bullpen that's, you know, already been used a decent bit. And now they have to use all these guys to get to get through nine innings at least. And then they got shut out through eight uh, by that Giants bullpen. You had talked a lot about uh you know, you want to get to the starters because the Giants bullpen is so good. The Giants bullpen is insanely good. Insanely They're good. They're so good. They have great approaches, good talent, um, just guys that know how to get people out in big situations. They have – they're, like, having been in spring with them – they know what they're doing from a front office standpoint to be able to put that stuff together. Very impressed with that organization. Absolutely. Like I said, they're, we needed to get to their starters. Unfortunately, we ran into all-star Gosman, Logan Webb at his best. We could, I think he's 24. Yeah. He's still young. Yeah. And then, you know, like you mentioned, Di Scalfani had that, by the way, a great nickname in disco. disco. Like just a great nickname. Dope. Yeah. It's perfect too. Just fits. He, I think it was more of a, a precautionary thing where their team was like, look, we don't need you to, to pitch, you know, five innings off. You know, he hurt his ankle maybe a little bit. We don't want you to, to, you know, exacerbate things. Just get out of there. 
we'll have you in a couple of days. Um, and so he, they pushed it on their bullpen and they really stepped up um, and pitched well. So, yeah. And speaking of stepping up, how about Tyler McGill again? Another fantastic outing. I mean, I I had said that I would take five innings, three and runs from him again because that's what he did against the Dodgers. The dude dazzled. He got into some early sticky situations and he looked like a vet up there, like cool and collected. Didn't even really like lose composure and pop off when he got out of those situations. He was just calm. He was like zoned in. Six innings, one earned run, five hits, two walks, six Ks. Tyler McGill's ERA is now 3.21 through 11 starts. Without Tyler McGill, I mean, the Mets are already like a sinking ship in some ways. Without Tyler McGill, I think they're five games under for sure. He has shored up this rotation when they needed him the most, for sure. Uh, so Disco exited in the in the second, and then, you know, we had the bullpen game. The bullpen did stymie us, six and two-thirds scoreless innings. Going into the ninth, the Giants had a one nothing lead, but the Mets managed to tie it at one off Jake McGee, surprisingly enough, who has sort of like led the Giants bullpen in a way, him and uh, Taylor Rogers. It was a hit-by-pitch, a single, and then a sack fly from J.D. Davis. That tied the game at one. And then we got to talk about, one, our bullpen, but two, specifically, Edwin Diaz. Edwin Diaz maybe had his best performance of the year. I mean, oh, my God. So the bullpen gave us six innings scoreless. Uh, two hits, one walk, eight strikeouts, no earned runs there. Diaz pitched a perfect ninth and then came back out for the tenth with the ghost runner on second base and induced a couple flyouts and got out of it clean. Two perfect innings, 19 pitches. Yeah, that was huge. Um, not a safe situation, not something normal that a closer comes in on the road uh, in a tie game like that. He pitched a, a, a great outing, something they needed. Really quick, like you mentioned, very, very efficient. Just dominated. One, two, three, boom, boom, boom. Uh, the big one in the in the 10th to prevent that run after we didn't, you know, get that run in, that was huge. Um, he really stepped up and, and, you know, like in game one where the, the bullpen faltered, the bullpen stepped right back up and and they're just giving guys chances. And that was huge. He, he did a wonderful job. It was good to see him just dominate like he should. His stuff is, he's so nasty. Sugar's incredible. And like, it really did feel like that game was going to slip away from us again when we didn't score in the top mm -hmm. of the 10th and Diaz went back out. And like, I love Diaz. I've been advocating for Diaz. I've called him elite all season long. But when he went out for that second inning, that game felt over. Uh, and he really proved me wrong. Conforto followed that up with an RBI double in the 11th. And then Tommy LaStella tied it off Jerry Familia in the bottom of that inning. And then the big blow. And I can't think of a guy that needed this big blow more. It was a Patrick Mazika single, the ghost runner, and then Kevin Pillar, who had hit one to the warning track in his previous at-bat and just didn't get enough of it. Hits one into the left field stands, made sure he got it. Three-run bomb. It put the Mets up 5-2. to two. They'd win by 6-2 after getting one more by Chance Sisko, uh, of all people, newest Met. And Jake Reed came out, pitched another perfect inning in the ninth. That was awesome. So the Mets' bullpen looked beautiful. They bailed us out, and they got us back to 500, heading back to L.A. 60-60. and 60. You mentioned Pilar. Good for him, man. That was huge. He, I, I want to go back and kind of talk to about Pilar for a little bit. His press conference after he got hit in the face, and how much he talked about, like, I was just so impressed with his, like, his thought process, the way he assessed things. He was like, he was worried about uh, uh, Jacob Webb, who hit him in the face. He talked about the team and, and just wanting to be around. He just seemed, he's so genuinely about the team. It's just, you need those kinds of guys. And he's such a pro, plays great defense in the outfield. And then when you need him, he's going to put together a professional at-bat, one of those at-bats where you're not giving it away. We kind of saw the difference in the, the Dodgers uh, series where when we have 
when the Mets had runners in scoring position, the hitters want to do so much that they're chasing pitches that they shouldn't. And then when the Dodgers were up, they were so calm and collected. They just relaxed and let the action come to them. And so that's what you mean by a professional at bat. And that's what Pilar gives you. Sometimes he's outmatched like anybody is in the big leagues, but he really stepped up in a situation right there, hit a huge home run. Um, and then you chant Cisco in his first at bat as a Met added to it. It was nice. It was nice to get up and also get a little bit of breathing room for the bullpen to kind of just take a breath and Jake Reed shut him down. It was beautiful. Beautiful. And it's just the way you true it up. And you talked a little bit about professional at bats and working counts. And, you know, when you play ahead, you approach things differently. The preface to this third game uh, did not look good. If you were on Mets Twitter ahead of this third game, things were looking dire all over the place. We're going to go with the Steve Cohen tweet because that's that's the big news that I think needs addressing. Before the game uh, at around noon uh, yesterday, uh, Steve Cohen tweets out, it's hard to understand how professional hitters can be this unproductive. The best teams have a more disciplined approach. The slugging and OPS numbers don't lie. Now, I've had a lot of time to mull over this quote and think about it, and I'm definitely interested in your take because former player, obviously, you know, you're not used to seeing owners tweet out their thoughts as fans because Steve Cohen, at the end of the day, is a Mets fan and is also the owner of the Mets. From a player standpoint, I just feel like this maybe isn't the thing you wanted to hear coming up in a losing stretch. But at the same time, you know, they showed out and they got a gutsy win yesterday. So I, I'm really, because I, there wasn't a lot of discussion amongst players about their response to the quote. There was some quotes from coaches like Louis Ross and Quattlebaum. We'll get to that in a second. But for the players, I, I have to imagine, like, was this a wake-up call or did this, like, piss them off? But did that help? Like, how would you feel if you were in their shoes on the 2021 Mets roster and you saw this quote? So first of all, you wouldn't you wouldn't take the the words in the in the tweet to heart because you know it doesn't the the words don't mean anything. It's the message behind it, and I think that's what Louis Rojas addressed as well. The Mets understand it's a challenge. Being like, look, we put you guys on the field. You're supposed to do your job. You're not performing. Is it is it an approach problem? Is it a philosophy from our our coaches and our front office? What's the deal? And it's basically a challenge. He's laying out the gauntlet. Like, it's time for you guys to start performing. And it's not ideal what you want to hear from your owner, but it's something that, like, he's saying, hey, it's time to step up. We are, you know, as a as a hitting group, you already saw your, your, your hitting coach is fired, and that eats at you a little bit. It didn't do it. And he's saying, look, do we need to clean house again? You, these things pop into your head, and you're like, all right, well, let's. it's time to hit. You know, it might have fired the boys up. It might have not. I don't, for me personally, I wouldn't even think about it as a player because you have so much going on anyway that you're just trying to do your best. Uh, Hugh Quattlebaum, which is one of the best names in in, in the world, maybe just Hugh it Quattlebaum. It sounds made up. It does sound like. I think that was a, a series of, of unfortunate events character. <laughs> yeah. Like a lemony snicket type. But he talked about it's not a work ethic issue. It's not. These guys are working very hard and you have to like, just put your head down and trust the process that you're doing things the right way. Understanding now that the outcomes are on a bigger scale that you have to overcome because you have to win now. All that talk about, you know, trust us, trust the process doesn't mean anything if you can't win ball games. And that's where we are now. I just want to look at it. So we had 10 hits in the first game, eight and 10. We actually out hit the Giants 28 to 25. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, we, we hit the ball. I mean, it was runners in scoring position, one for seven in the first game, uh, one for five in the second game, and that one wasn't even an RBI. It was um, 
the runner was on second, didn't score because he had to watch the ball get down. But then we went four for 13 in the third game, and that was the difference. We're hitting. We're starting to put together better at-bats against teams like the Giants and the Dodgers. You have to be perfect almost to get a win because they're going to put pressure on you constantly from both the mound and from the plate. And you're going to lose those those games if you don't hit with runners in scoring position. But they played really good baseball. And you had talked about uh, looking at the schedule, looking ahead. Well, we're in the thick of this road trip right now. You can't really look too far ahead. But if we can just tread water and get through this, uh, there are brighter days ahead. As long as we keep that approach and that momentum going of just hitting the baseball, they've done a good job. I'm sure a lot of our listeners overlap with our talking baseball contemporary. Shout out Jim, Jake, Trev. They did a little bit of schedule watch on their last episode. We're going to touch on uh, the NLE schedules at the end of our episode to really iron out how everything is looking uh, for each team, their outlook and stuff like that. But yeah, with this series, it was it was two things for me. One, the four for 13 with our uh, runners in scoring position in the last game was huge, especially that big home run, obviously. Two, Stroman giving us seven on 117 pitches. Absolutely like the gutsiest outing of the season so far. And then Tyler McGill dazzling against the best team in baseball as a rookie in your 11th start. Like these wins don't like these wins and these close games don't happen without those starters giving you 13 innings of baseball and giving that bullpen some much needed breathing room. Because when we go to LA, you're going to have to lean on the bullpen again. And, you know, we went to extras yesterday. That wasn't ideal. The Mets uh, would throw six innings from their bullpen, but you got to think that they're in a better spot because of those starts for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we had, the bullpen carrier. I, I, to me, the the story, you know, outside of our hitting, number one is our hitting. We hit. Yeah. And we hit with runners in scoring position moving forward. That's great. But Tyler McGill, I've been so impressed with him. Tyler McGill. I just want to make sure I get that right. Keep saying Tyler. I feel bad. It's, well, you're just you're just making it faster. Yeah, Tyler. I'm going fast. So it's like no one can make it though, <laughs> right? It doesn't really count. That's right. I mean, and yeah, but I, I've been so impressed. You talked about his his kind of his demeanor, his mound presence. He just he just exudes confidence and that's what you want. That's body language. You know, I played with guys that kind of pout and kick the ball. McNeil does it a little bit when he, when he doesn't get a hit, you'll see him slam his helmet. Sure. Yeah. Whatever you need to motivate yourself. I appreciate more the style that Tyler McGill does when he's out there. He's just business. Like, Hey, yeah. I'm going to keep my head down. I, I punched you out. That's what I expected to do. Let's go. And he did it in huge spots against the best team in, in the national league and in the giants they showed great defense. They, they showed great pitching. They showed, you know, a great bullpen. They, they're a great team. We could have won all three games, should have won a couple more, yeah. but that's the difference. And so we're, we're pushing forward, building momentum. It would have been an absolute heartbreaker to lose that game three, like we did and against the, the Dodger series, you know, fought, we lose a nail biter, lose a nail biter, and then just get our butts kicked. It was looking the same way. It was like lose a nail biter, lose a nail biter. But we came out. We showed some some grit and pushed forward. It was wonderful. Yeah, and it's it's big that you get to play these teams again. A lot of people are fearful of this, but now the Mets know exactly what they're dealing with, and they've already showed improvement in the last series. Again, like you could have came you could have came in with a two two out of three, but you know you have to look forward. Like you can't really dwell on those wins. I'm sure the players are looking forward for sure. And I was going to say before that, you know, a lot of like McGill's young tendencies have reminded me of a very young DeGrom. DeGrom was a huge gamer back then, even with his long hair. You know, he had a very like likable smile. He was a young guy. But it, still, when he was on the mound, he was a presence. And looking at McGill, you know, makes me fond of DeGrom for sure. And we learned today, unfortunately, uh, that there is, per reports, a 99.9% chance that we will not see Jacob DeGrom 
again this season. Again, the uh, right elbow inflammation is just recurring. It hasn't gone away. Doctors have said that it has actually improved, uh, but I think the Mets are just being as cautious as possible. And you know what? Like, it's hard to disagree just because DeGrom is the best pitcher on the planet. And, you know, if you're going to hugely improve this team in the offseason, regardless of what happens during the rest of the stretch, you know, you want DeGrom front and center. You want him leading the charge. You want him fully healthy for that season. So if it means he needs to be shut down and the Mets needs to need to press on without him, then I guess so be it. You know, like, what are your thoughts on that? I think for the last, you know, our last couple of ep- episodes, I kind of touched base is like, you can't expect DeGrom to come back at this point. If you get him, it's a huge bonus. And I think this just, you know, accentuates that. It sucks for sucks for for Jake as a human being, for his family, for the Mets. You know, I, I know he wants to play so bad. It's it's tough. For me, it's tough, you know, like as a fan of baseball in general. Yeah. I feel like the pandemic really struck DeGrom the hardest for me because I love watching that human being pitch. He's incredible to watch. I think baseball's missed a lot between the shortened season, not getting, you know, him in his prime. And then I think I think this was a residual effects from, you know, not throwing that many innings in, in the 2020 season. And so it carried over. It sucks. It sucks. I feel bad for him. The Mets will miss him. The, the game of baseball misses him. I, I wish him, I hope he comes back. There is still a chance. He's still going to work hard. The, the team's still pushing forward. But anything you get is a bonus. Yeah. Just get healthy. Let's see you in 2022. I think the biggest thing is if the Mets are still in contention with like two weeks left in September. I mean, DeGrom could feasibly return by then, give you two starts. I think that is the only scenario where the Mets pull the trigger and put him back in. And that makes the most sense for sure. I think maybe, maybe even push it. The Mets end up making the playoffs and he could come in and do something for you there. Whether it's, you know, abbreviated starts, whatever the case may be. It's yeah. all a bonus. You know, it's all, it's, it's, you know, it, it would all be just kind of icing on the cake, but we yeah. have to get to that point. The, the more baseball we play, the better chance he has of, of coming back, but let's go. Yeah. And speaking of injuries, we got a few more to, to rattle off here. We uh, didn't see James McCann in the last two games of the series. He's dealing with some back spasms. The Mets haven't IL'd him. So I, they're thinking that maybe it's a minor thing and he can come back. He does have some really good numbers against some of the Dodgers pitchers that we're going to touch on in a little bit. So actually, hopefully James McCann can get back for this series. But for now, Chance Cisco is on the roster. Cisco actually got a big hit uh, that gave us a 6-2 lead, an RBI double. So he's one for one in his Mets career. Pretty good as batting 1,000. I'm pretty sure that's one of the best ever. Uh, minimum one at bat. So, you know, you like to have that guy in your lineup. Uh, Javier Baez, they're saying that he could come off Sunday as soon as he's eligible to come off the 10-day IL. Also back spasms for him. So you could be looking at getting him and James McCann back pretty much at the same time. That would be huge. That's two bats back into your lineup. Don't know if you saw the video, but Noah Syndergaard, he threw some live at-bats against Francisco Lindor and Baez. Uh, He only threw fastballs and changeups, no real breaking stuff yet, but he looked good. He looked healthy. The velo looked like it was there. And then Francisco Lindor, no further updates since our last episode. That's where he stands still with his oblique. We're hoping we can get him back in a couple weeks. I think that would be a huge boost, especially considering... By the time you get Lindor back is probably the time that Nats Marlins stretch is over and now you're back facing the tougher teams again. So we got to see. They're they're playing it by ear. The Mets are dealing with a lot of moving parts on their IL right now. Uh, DeGrom at the forefront, obviously. But these four guys, hopefully you can get them in the mix soon. Yeah. uh, McCann will come back when he can, when he's he's able. Um, Mazika did a great job stepping up. Chance Cisco, you talked about, um, had a huge hit. For me, uh, Baez, I hope he's 100% when he comes back because I feel like he needs to be physically at 100% to really, truly give the boost that they need. Lindor will wait on, you know, 
Syndergaard, I'll put him in the same category as DeGrom. If we get him at all, it's all a bonus. I just, you know, want them to both to be healthy moving forward for their careers right. uh, for the team. So he did look good. I mean, Syndergaard always looks good. I feel like anytime he throws the ball, it comes out at 100. Uh, I played catch with him this spring. That must uh, be scary. Honestly, I mean, it's not scary because he dots up even when he's coming off rehab. Well, you got to think of my perspective, too. Scary, scary for me. I don't think I've ever seen a hundred. Yeah. Well, it would be. Did he throw full strength or anything like that or no? He was. Yeah, he was probably he was he threw some bullpens there. He's throwing probably 95. The ball, he just he's so big. And, you know, I'm like, are you too close? You're you're like 30 feet away from me. Why are you so close? And it's just because he's so big. Yeah. Um, but, you know, th- those guys are all bonus. Uh, DeGrom, you know. Syndergaard, anything we get from them would be a bonus. And again, and just 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 get healthy, do your thing. Yeah. And uh, one last big note for Baez is that uh, when he fielded grounders, he fielded them at second base. So it could mean that you know when Baez comes back, Lindor might come back with him. We won't need Baez at short. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. Maybe he's just fielding there because that's where he wanted to field that day. I don't know. But that's where he was fielding grounders. So maybe we get them both at the same time. I don't know. VR's done amazing in and their absence playing wherever he needs to go. He's hitting, you know, he got picked off again, which is what VR does. Seventh pickoff this year. Second place is four pickoffs. Tough. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. <laughs> Huge. I don't know. I love VR. You heard it on the broadcast. They were, yeah, I mean, he's, he's stepped up. So he's been so big for this team. Um, but those are the little hiccups that you get. It's part of the deal. I'll take it, you know? Yeah. So, uh, we're looking forward towards LA. We have the biggest series of the year of this stretch. It's a four game set away. The Mets have played good away baseball this year. I'm a little bit encouraged by this. We got some serious probables here, and I've said this a couple times for past games. I've been wrong every time, or I guess far sighted every time. Uh, but game one is looking like the game to win for the Mets. The Dodgers still have not announced a starter for tonight's game. That's going up at 10 p.m. Eastern. Taiwan Walker is going for the Mets, who just no-hit the Dodgers through six and one-third uh, last time out. So they're probably going to get another good start out of Walker, and they're probably going to get a bullpen game out of the Dodgers. The Dodgers' bullpen is considerably weaker compared to the Giants, in my opinion. So the Mets, they just scored six runs. They just got their uh, runners in scoring position, hitting straightened out a little bit with that four for 13. You need to steady this momentum, and you need to have a big showing against the Dodgers show that you're capable of splitting, maybe even winning this series. Uh, and game one is the, the time to do it, in my opinion. Yeah, you want to play, you want to get, you want to split this series. You want two and two. You don't have to win, you know, the first game. It doesn't, you don't need to put that kind of pressure on you for one game. This isn't, you know, this isn't the, the wild card game. Right. You just got to put together a good series, continue the momentum, just keep hitting, just keep hitting the ball. You're going to play good defense. You know, hopefully you get good, uh, good start out of uh, Taiwan. You know, Cookie needs a good bounce back. Rich Hill's done well. He's had that one blow up inning kind of issue, but he's pitched well, man. And and he's going back to L.A. Yeah, his home ground. Yeah, yeah. He 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 had some good times there, and so hopefully the familiarity of being there, um, you know, not only just for him, but to to be able to to give the guys a little bit of insight on what it takes to be successful. It's an awesome ballpark, but it feels different. The bullpen's weird. Warming out, warming up out there is strange. Um, and so I could have used some advice from him, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, this is, again, you don't want to make yourself have to win this first game because we are not facing one of their starters. Just, just win two, whatever it is, you want to split it and then go home and, and have an off day. Finally, a much needed off day. 
It's it really is cruel to think about how many rainouts and how many off days came early in the season for the Mets and how little off time they're getting now when they truly need it. Not to mention that they they gave them the Sunday night I know. game and made them switch the game on getaway. Like it's just brutal. They, they, but that's that's part of the deal yeah. of being a good team and facing uh, you know a, a rundown. They're, they're, you're going to get those prime time games, so it does suck. You are a good team, and people want to watch you. So naturally, these things are going to happen to you. It's just part of the game. Yeah, you can still complain, but the bottom line is it is what it is, and they show up to play. So for sure. Yeah, so the Mets have seven games left on this uh, West Coast trip from hell. Uh, they have four with the Dodgers, three with the Giants after. I think if they can go three and four, four and three in this stretch, just hang around 500, I think they'll be in a good spot. Obviously, you want them to win more games than not. But in game two, they have Cookie going against Walker Bueller. Walker Bueller looked fantastic last time out. Serious Cy Young candidate up there with uh, Zach Wheeler and some of the Brewers guys. Um, he dominated the Mets, 10 strikeouts through seven innings, one run on the Michael Conforto bomb. And you got to start thinking about uh, what Cookie's role will be for the Mets if this is another blow-up start. Um, He hasn't made it past uh, the fourth inning yet, or the fifth inning, rather, sorry. Uh, And T. Will looked pretty okay in his start against the Nationals, so I think you have a guy hanging back there. If Cookie falters again, maybe Cookie becomes this long relief guy in the bullpen and you give T. Will a shot. I think you can say the same thing maybe for Rich Hill. Rich Hill has uh, pitched five innings for us his first three times. These last two times, it's been three innings and three and two-thirds. He's had the blow-up inning uh, problem. So maybe you use Rich Hill for three, and that's it. Maybe he gives you a solid three, and you you work with a, another guy that can give you three after. Maybe you combine Rich Hill and Cookie. Maybe you combine Rich Hill and T-Will. Like, I think you have to start configuring this a little better because the Mets cannot keep dealing with uh, blow-up innings from these guys because it just sets them back in the game, and they're not scoring as many runs right now. They really can't keep up with that kind of thing, so they do need to manage this bullpen. I guess these long relievers a little bit better, especially. And the Dodger, the Dodger series is a great place to test it out, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. This is going to be a kind of a real litmus test of what you're going to do. You know, hats off to Cookie for coming back and uh, dealing with you know this major injury and coming back. He's you know he's being honest too. He's saying you know this feels like spring training. I don't feel at my best. You know, I'm still ironing things out. It's tough, and you're doing it on a stage like this where there's a lot yeah. of pressure on you to perform. Um, he's, he's great. He's going to hopefully pitch how he can pitch. You know, I hope, hope he comes into form and feels good uh, moving forward. But if it's another, you know, troublesome start, they'll, they'll probably shuffle it up. They have a whole off day to, to think about it, a whole trip back from the West coast. Uh, they'll put their heads together and figure it out. But right now he's the starter. Let's see what he's got. And uh, I wish him nothing but the best. Yeah, I mean, the expectations have been unreasonably high for this guy, considering, you know, the situation he's been in the past couple of years. So the fact that he's even back in the first place and helping the team uh, is commendable, to say the least. But the Mets do have to put him in a position where he can succeed. I think that two-inning, three-inning long relief spot is not a bad idea. Uh, it does, you know, it beleaguers your bullpen a little bit, but you got to get T-Will and maybe even Jake Reed in the mix. So Jake Reed gave you three innings last time out. Maybe he can also be this long relief guy. Uh, but that remains to be seen. So Cookie goes against Bueller, and then Rich Hill goes against Max Scherzer. Scherzer had a good outing against the Mets last time. They put up two on him in six innings. He struck out seven. Uh, And then in the final game, Marcus Stroman heads back out to the bump against David Price. We didn't see David Price uh, make a start in the home series. Uh, The the note I wanted to make, and hopefully we get him back in time, James McCann is actually three for eight with a home run against David Price. And those are all relatively recent numbers. So maybe if you get him in, in the lineup, he can give you some pop there. Obviously, Stroman uh, threw 117 pitches through seven last time. 
I'm probably guessing that he's going to face a lighter workload uh, this time out because he gave the bullpen that much needed rest. But if we go through these first three games and we get a couple blow-up starts from uh, Cookie and Hill, you may have to ask Stroman to go deep again. And I'm sure Stroman would because he's a gamer. He loves this kind of atmosphere. That's what I was going to say. He's he's going to do whatever needs to be done. If it's 6 and 100 or if it's 7 and 110, he'll be that guy. If he's capable of going there, if his, if he's having a good outing, he'll keep going. If the bullpen needs an inning from him, he'll push forward. He's That's what he did in San Francisco, and that's what he wants to do in L.A. He wants to pitch. His, he wants to throw a CG every time. So if he's in a position to feel like he can do that, he'll do that. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think he's definitely earned uh, the bag in the offseason for sure. Whether it comes from the Mets or it comes from another team, he has proven that he can be a frontline starter for a competitive team. He's, you know, he's really carried the Mets on his back the past couple starts. Uh, a lot of quality starts in a row. Uh, he hasn't had a blow up in a long time now. And, you know, well, that's the, the key for me has been his consistency. He's you you're going to get a solid outing. You're going to get five, six, seven innings from him. And he's going to keep you competitive. And that's over 162 game season. That's that's lovely. That's one of those things where if you can bank on it and he's literally going to bank on it. So I wish him nothing but the best in the offseason. But right now we need him. So. You know, put it all on the line like you have every day. Absolutely. Give me, give me another, give me another highlight reel play. I want to see something else. Yeah, and if you get that highlight reel play, like share it as many times as you want. We're not going to expand into whatever <laughs> happened yesterday, but Stro, if you get a highlight reel play, bump it fifty times. He does have a sweet hat. Did you see the poopoo poo tank? Hat? It looks Actually, good. That, that is that is hilarious. The HDMH stuff looks clean. That merch, it's been popping up more for me. So I mean, maybe in the off season, I might have to buy a little bit. I don't know. Show it off on the pod. Yeah, a little, a little poo poo take. A little poo poo take. It's not bad. It's not a bad <laughs> idea. I just like the poo poo. It just sounds funny. It's like a little kid thing. It's perfect. Uh, so we did. Uh, I mentioned before that we were going to do a little bit of schedule watch uh, for the the contending NL East teams because it's right now it's a three horse race. Let's try to just push through. Like we'll we'll do that fast. I'll, I'll take the Mets real quick. Yeah, go ahead. So the Mets. You know, after after this run, so we have 14 games left versus Washington and Miami, which are games that you have to win, especially the situation that you put yourself in. We have nine games at home versus the Yankees, the Cardinals, and the Phillies, all going to be competitive. Those are games you're going to want to split, maybe win the series. That's it. Then you go, we have five away versus Boston, Milwaukee. Those are tough ones you want to split. Then we have three games against Miami and then three games against Atlanta. Those will be coming down. Hopefully we're still making a push uh, going towards that Atlanta series. That'd be a wonderful way to end it. Yeah. So what you, re- I mean, what you have to do is you have to stay alive and close the season against Atlanta. Cause uh, we're all being realistic here. The Mets are not a wildcard team. They have to win the NL East or they're not going to make it. That's just the point. The bottom line is they're only thinking about winning as many games as they can, chasing down the division. If they win a wild card, they win a wild card. But they're you're you're focused on the division, just winning as much as you can. Facing Atlanta, you know, at the end of the season could be a lot of fun coming down to it. So right. uh, big things to look out for in this Mets schedule. Um, they host the first half of the Washington Miami set. Uh, they play five against the Nationals at Nationals Park. The Nationals are like three and twelve in their last fifteen. You got to win a lot of those games, and then they go to the House of Horrors in Miami, where they have one win this year, uh, and they play away versus Miami. So they have to show up and they have to win that. That's playing series. Miami at the beginning of the year, where they're you know they're coming off of uh, a playoff team. They're they're feeling good about themselves. They're then you get them in September, where they're a little bit beat up. Their 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 clubhouse doesn't feel as positive. That's what happens. You you face a team that has 
you know, at this part of the year, you got to take advantage of it. And hopefully we, we, you know, put up some W's. That's what we need to do against teams that are like that. Right. The Mets had beat the Yankees at their home stadium, but the Yankees are a much different team now. They have the best record since the all-star break. It's a very different ball game. They go uh, against the Cardinals. Uh, they split with the Cardinals earlier. Then they have the Phillies. The Boston Red Sox don't look as good anymore. Those are some games you could win. Milwaukee, I think, is probably the toughest set they have here, especially because it's away, not home. Uh, and Milwaukee is like 27 games up, 500. They have a great home record. That's a tough series, especially with tough pitching. But, you know, it's just these are these are winnable sets. Not, none of them are completely impossible, in my opinion. But we'll know if the season's still alive after those 14 games of Washington and Miami. Because if you can't capitalize on that, then you're not a playoff team. That's it. So we're we're trying to survive this San Francisco, L.A., kind of, you know, 14-game, 13-game set and get to this Washington-Miami 14 games yeah. where we can, like, bounce back. And so, like you said, after those two weeks, we're going to figure it out. And it's not a cakewalk for the Braves either, uh, which I looked into uh, right before we started recording today. Uh, the Braves have three games away uh, in, at Camden Yards, so they should be able to capitalize easy off that. And they've had an easy go of it these past few uh, sets. They played uh, the Washington Nationals. They've been mopping them a little bit. But after that, they have five games at home versus the Yankees and Giants. They go away against the Dodgers and the Rockies. The Rockies are a great home team. That is not a free layup series They have at the all, best home record. Which is insane. In, so yeah, ridiculous. They, they, well, they talked about it yesterday on the broadcast, I think. Unbelievable home, home road splits. And yeah. Colorado's a, a, a different place to play being at the altitude. Yeah. But uh, I think our, our team, you know, or, or the Braves can get their butts kicked out there. It would be kind of nice for the Mets. I am super glad the Mets played at Coors in April and took two out of three <laughs> before this random uh, hot streak started. So after those tough sets, the Braves get uh, Washington, Miami, and Colorado at home. So they should be able to clean up those nine games a little bit. Then they go back on the road. They play away uh, at the Giants, at Arizona, and at San Diego. San Diego's a tough park to play at for sure. And then they end their stretch with six games at home versus the Phillies and the Mets. So they, they might be in a position where they can decide their own fate. It's going to be a really fun, stressful last week of baseball. But if you haven't heard already, if you didn't listen to Talking Baseball, uh, you know you might not know, I should say, that the Phillies have the easiest schedule of any contending team uh, with the remainder of the season to go. Now, I will say, uh, as, as of the day of this recording, the, Mets, the Phillies have dropped the first two games of their set in the Diamondback series, which is shocking to me, both by one run. Uh, so that's a big boost. Uh, so maybe these Phillies might not cakewalk, but they should, for sure. Yeah, they have, they have three against San Diego, three against San Diego, three against Tampa, and then they have three against the Mets, three against Atlanta. And that outside of that, they have... Arizona, Washington, Miami, Milwaukee's still good, Colorado, the Cubs, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, Miami. Like those are their schedule is set up before them much easier than than ours and much easier than the Braves. But everybody controls their own fate. We still have to win ball games. They have to win ball games. And it'll come down to hopefully come down towards the end where the Mets are playing great. I feel like we're we're building momentum right now. Atlanta's playing incredible baseball. I think they're nine and one in their last 10. Yeah. They're mopping the floor. You know, maybe we're just building up to that. We're going to make like a 30 game push of just great baseball. It's not about how you start. It's about how you finish. I was going to say the same thing. In order to win a world series, you have to build that momentum going in. And we have a, a great opportunity to do that. You know, guys have been talking about that team chemistry on, and believing in themselves this whole time. This is a time to prove it. You got to get through this hard stretch on the road, come home, and then really put the put the pedal down 
and play play the fun baseball. September baseball, when you're playing meaningful games in September, there's nothing like it in the world. When you're trying for something at this point, you know, most of the teams already know that they're out, but when you're really pushing forward, that's when that's when the the, the light shines the brightest and when the guys step up. And so this is that opportunity. So if you can get to that point, let's go. Yeah, man. And it's just, you really want, you don't want to go into the Washington Miami stretch. If you're the Mets, you don't want to go there as a refuge. Like, Oh my God, we can breathe. Finally, it's over. You want to go in there coming away with a couple wins against two of the best teams in baseball and playing good baseball, playing good baseball. You know what I mean? Have something to smile about. You don't want to, you you don't want to feel desperate. What you want to do is just play the same baseball that you were playing against the really good teams and squash the teams that are worse than you clearly. You have to you have to stomp them down. And again, we'll come up to the the Washington series when we talk about it. But just just leave Soto alone. Yeah, just walk them. Just walk just leave em. Soto alone. But let's just let's just get there. Let's let's beat up on some Dodgers. The more the more uh, pitches that you faced against a pitcher as a hitter, the better an advantage it is for you. And so the fact that we got Bueller for so much, we got Scherzer again. I think it's you know it should prove an advantage for the hitters. So hopefully moving forward, we, we take advantage of that. Yeah, for sure. And I'm, I'm, I'm just hoping even if the Mets don't come away with the East, that the last week of baseball in September is a fun one. And it means something because have, having the Phillies play the Braves, having the Braves play the Mets, like it should, it's supposed to be this way. You know what I mean? To come full circle on, on what uh, Stevie Cohen's tweet kind of means. I think this is what it is. It's like, it's time. Let's go boys. Let's put it together. I don't know what the problem is, but there's a message being sent and it's like, it's time to play baseball and start winning games. And I think that's what Louis Rojas talked about, that they got the message. We hear you that it's time. And so it's time to perform. And so let's see it, man. They are, they're one and oh after that tweet. So let's keep it going. I was going to say the Mets are one and oh since Steve Cohen told them that they sucked. So, I mean, it's pretty good. <laughs> not, and not so many words, obviously paraphrase. Not in so many words in a weird OPS slugging percentage kind of, you know, I don't know. I don't know what to read into the <laughs> to the words, but the message was what it is. I think he wanted to flex a little bit that he knew what those stats meant, which like, you know, all right, good for you, Steve. That's fun. Well, he's, he's, I gotta be, uh, he's gotta be a numbers guy. I hope so. He's gotta be. Yeah. But yeah, the Mets showed a lot of faith. They didn't shuffle the roster like I thought they would. Uh, they kept Kevin Pilar on no DFA for Elmore either. Pilar came up with a huge hit. So, I mean, maybe, maybe it is a wake up call. And uh, you really got to prove that it was. Because if you get through those 14 games, then you have a bunch of games against competitive teams. But we've talked about the Mets playing better in a chase. We've talked about them playing up to competition. It hasn't shown in the, pre- in the previous six games, although those games were competitive. It has shown. They just have gotten beat. Right. And these te- I don't think any of these teams are as tough as the Giants or Dodgers. I really don't. I don't think. Maybe the Brewers, you can argue. But I think that the Mets' hardest part of their schedule will end soon. And again, the Brewers, the Brewers are running away with the division, even though the Reds are playing great baseball and they're chasing down that wild card too. Uh, the Brewers, you know, at this point, maybe resting some guys, maybe starting to that would be awesome. <laughs> I mean, you could, you know, maybe started to sit some guys and and shut down some of their bullpen guys so they're good for that that playoff push. But fingers crossed. Well, let's just get to that point. Let's get through this road trip, have an off day, come home. And, uh, you know, sleep in your own bed for the first time and get some good sleep. Got to be alive when you get there. I'm sure the negative Mets fans are going to be uh, raging at how positive we've been because of the last win. Oh, that's yet. fine. Yeah. I'm used to it. Be positive. We welcome it. There, you can be be who you want to be. Uh, see the world how you want to see it. It's much easier to be positive. I, you can be negative, 
go to sleep being pissed off and then wake up and just be like, all right, what do we got to do today to be positive and to win? There's only one way to look at it. You got to, got to keep moving forward. You can't look backwards. Philosopher Jer. I like it. It's the, it's a fact, man. If you, if, if you just like, all right, this is the situation I'm in. I can't do anything about where I'm at. Where do I need to take steps to be moving forward? And that's what you got to do every day. Socrates, Buddha, Confucius, Jerry Blevins. That's right. I'm going to, I'm going to make a series of fortune cookies. I'll send them out to the John boy guys, everybody. I'll put them at the offices. Make sure they're blue and orange. It'd be good. <laughs> I'm in. All right. So we're at the tail end of our episode here. We got this day in Mets history. It's a, it's a small one today, but our, but our good pal, Ronnie Darling was born on this day in 1960, future Mets world series champion, obviously Mets booth mainstay. Uh, we love you, Ron Darling. Please listen to Shea station at some point. I think you'd really like it. Happy birthday, Ron. He's a he's a good guy. I've talked to him many a time uh, on the plane. Whether you know, he's he's a cerebral guy and he does a good job. I really actually think he's a, a phenomenal analyst. Oh, me too. Um, I think he does a great job, even in when he does you know non met stuff. I think he does a really good job. Plus, he was. In, I love uh, that they gave him the nod for playoff games. I think that's awesome. Plus, he was in um, Shallow Hal. I don't know if you knew that. No, I didn't know that, actually. He's the handsome Hawaiian guy that, you know. No shit. Yeah, go back. A little bit of Mets trivia? Does that count as Mets trivia? I don't know. If that's just Ron Darling trivia, I guess. It so. could have. I could have turned it into trivia, but uh, I just give you a little tidbit of my random, my brain full of random trivia knowledge. I like it. So happy birthday, Ronnie. Mets get a win for Ronnie's birthday tonight, hopefully. Uh, and then we, of course, have the mainstay segment of Jog and Jerry's Memory. Uh, I did a little bit of hunting. I didn't think I was going to be able to find anything good, but I actually did find... <laughs> Ouch! Well, it, it, I will say there were only two game logs from August 19th, so it, was, it wasn't looking good. That's shocking. Yeah, but luckily enough, I was able to find your first career save in 2010. Uh, as an Oakland A. That's lovely. Uh, pitching at the Trop. You got Carlos Pena, Ben Zobrist, and Sean Rodriguez out. One, two, three. Uh, to get the A's to the record of 60 and 60. Huh. Isn't that weird? That's where we were. Let's just hope that the, the 2021 Mets finish better than the 2010 Oakland A's. Because uh, that was not a great season. That was my first full season. Right. No options up or down. That was my first full season. I have that ball somewhere over here. Very nice. Next to the hit, next to my, my next helmet. Next to all, all the stuff. other accolades, you know, because there's just so <laughs> many. All, all my other, you know, self self pump up little little baseballs we have there. But uh, that's a big one. I actually do remember that. The trap is a terrible place to play baseball. I don't like <laughs> I don't like uh, the turf. I don't like the dome, the sky, like the, the top of it is the same color as a baseball. Like, what are you doing? You and many others. And that was a good team back then. That was a, that was a really good version of the Tampa Bay Rays. That was, you know, was David Price there yet? It was a couple of years after the World Series. So yeah, I think Price was there. That was when Ben Zobris was just coming into his own. He was like the first utility versatile guy that to just put up, you know, that kind of impressive numbers. The Mets almost got him after um, Murphy walked after the, the Milwaukee. Yeah. I think he chose the Cubs, but he was almost one of us and that would have been fun, but he ended up beating us in the world series with the, with the Royals. Yeah. Which was tough. Um, what a jerk. Yeah. What a jerk. Honestly, <laughs> he's actually a, a super nice guy. Super good guy. And that also, you know, it led us to get Neil Walker and I love Neil Walker. Neil Walker actually made a, 
his booth debut a couple days ago. So he's a broadcaster now. So good on Neil. Well, that's yeah. He's I mean, he's a Pittsburgh guy. Grew up there. Dad played for the Pirates. He was a high school football legend. Longtime Pirate. I'm happy for him. Was Neil QB? What was he? Uh, he was a DB. Oh, interesting. Yeah, he was, a, I think, a safety, but a cornerback. I know he was a, you know, a, a, a deep, you know, nickel package kind of guy. Defensive specialist, for sure. In baseball and football. You know, he played, Pennsylvania is a, a huge football school. Ohio, Pennsylvania plays in that Ohio, you know, battle game. And this is, we're getting off topic, but I think he had to guard in the Ohio, Pennsylvania high school game. I think he had to guard, um, I want to say Ted Ginn, who's like one of the fastest oh, humans on my the planet. God. Yeah, and he's I like, know. well, the NFL is not really for me. So I'm glad uh, baseball worked out for him. Yeah, that guy's lightning fast. That's a, Look at this, all, all this Jerry trivia. I'm loving it. That's why I don't know anything that, that's meaningful. I know my brain is full of just random facts, movie trivia, movie quotes, you know, dumb facts. I think I've read too many cereal boxes on the back during my days. It always comes back to cereal. Always. We've come full circle now. Yeah, look at that. Well, I think that's probably a good spot to end our Shea Station episode then. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in. Uh, If you don't already, make sure you follow us on our socials for clips, news, Mets-related stuff, all that. Uh, We're Shea Station on Twitter, Instagram, pretty much anywhere you can find us. Uh, But yeah, the Mets have a decent outlook heading into this Los Angeles series. It's go time. Got to get a split here. Really think that this is an important series heading into the rest of the stretch. Uh, but for John Boy Media, I'm Jolly Olive, a.k.a. Jack. And I'm Jerry Blevins. Let's go Mets. Let's go Mets, baby. We'll see you guys on Monday. Go, let's keep hitting. Take care.